Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. I'm Rebecca Plum, your big sister. And I'm Sean Serha, your GBF. We're not that hot or that young. But we believe it's a state of mind that helps us build adaptable and profitable businesses. We rely on the support of our design besties to get through each day. So let's explore the emotional, practical, and humorous sides of being interior designers. Welcome to the club. Hey, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? It's another fun day with another amazing guest this morning. It's a happy Friday type of energy. Yes, very excited about our guest today. Today we have Joy Williams, who is a very talented designer in Chicago, based in Chicago and Atlanta. And her and I met in August at the Design Influencers Conference, and I kind of forced her to come on to our show. So <laughs> welcome. Welcome, Joy. Thank you. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Sean. Hi, I'm so Joy. happy to be here. Thank you so much for being here. We know you're a an incredibly busy person. That's okay. I know you guys are too, so I'm happy to be here. And you did not force me. <laughs> you, were, you were very gracious. Thank you. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about you and your business and how you got started in this industry? Sure. I run Joyful Design Studio, and that is a residential, primarily interior design firm based in Chicago and actually Augusta, Georgia. We have an office there, which is about two hours outside of Atlanta. And I have been doing interiors since probably, I would say 2008, but really professionally uh, for about four years. And prior to that, you had a career, another totally different career, correct? Yes, totally unrelated career where I mostly use my left brain. And now I'm happy to be in design where I get to, you know, let my creative juices flow, which I love design. I think there's an intellectual component to it Mm -hmm. as well as a creative component. And I think that that's what really attracts me to it. Yeah. And there, I mean, I feel like this business uses all parts of ourselves. There's Mm -hmm. the negotiation and sales component. There's the emotional kind of maintaining of ourselves and our clients. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. I think, I think design attracts people. I've met so many people who did not start in design, didn't attend design school And I think it just attracts a whole host of people who find something about design. Like you just said, there's an emotional component, Mm -hmm. there's a psychological component, creative component, and there's a business component, which, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of taps into the parts that I like. Yes, all of those things. And you can't, I mean, I feel like everyone kind of enters with a, either a skill or a um, calling for one of those pieces, but really you have to maintain them all somehow, whether it's outsourcing or getting your own skills together. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, Rebecca, that, you know, when people do enter the profession, I do think that they have one of those skill sets. And I Mm -hmm. think the important part of it is recognizing that you don't have to have them all. And I think any business that is entrepreneurial in spirit, you're going to have to wear a lot of different hats, but you don't have to be 
the master of all of them and you can outsource the ones that really don't suit your skill set. And I like that about this business. I want to talk a lot about that. <laughs> we've all been, we've both been on journeys <laughs> like that the last, especially the last two years, I think, because everything has gotten so inundated and we're trying to take on more work because of how much demand there is, but also just the frustration of growing into it and getting rid of learning how to like let go of things emotionally so someone else can do them for you has really been it's a struggle <laughs> major i agree i agree that is a struggle i mean i hired my first employee last year uh, no this year actually it feels wow, like last really year. yeah <laughs> it feels <laughs> like last year but i started interviewing like last year and the person came on board this year, so an assistant. But I think learning to kind of delegate, you know, some aspects of my business is difficult because I am a doer and I feel sometimes like I can get it done faster. And so I have a hard time with that, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I am learning to manage that better. Uh, and so it just, it is, it is a lot to kind of contend with, but. So your first employee is a, like a general assistant or design assistant? Design assistant. And I I was actually kind of rethinking whether or not I needed a design assistant or just a general assistant. So that's one of the things Mm -hmm. I'm contending with now, like. Yeah, or both, or both, but can I afford both? I can, you know, because when you bring someone on as your employee, it's different than if you're using a virtual assistant, which I did for years. Mm -hmm. But as a a person you bring on as your employee, do you, do you really need a design assistant or do I need a design assistant is one of the things I'm kind of like reevaluating or do I just need a general office assistant? Yeah, because I, I hear designers debating a lot about whether they, like being really clear of that person's going to grow into a design role because a lot of people want to work with us who have an interest in design but no experience. And that's just a lot to take on if you're already busy and they're not like hitting the ground running, helping with design. Right, And then they're kind of like not wanting to do the admin or the junky stuff that they feel like they shouldn't it's like the less have to do part of like, but I'm a designer now. And you're like, um, if that's what they're, <laughs> yeah, if that's what they want to do is be creative, yeah. then, but it's like, okay, well, if you don't do it, then I got to do to it me again. Right. <laughs> right. No, I think you're so right. I think. You know, I I appreciate people who have like a lot of grit and who can just kind of get things done and who are self-sufficient and can adapt really quickly. Because I learn quickly, I think I kind of anticipate that mm-hmm. the person that I would hire or work with can do the same mm-hmm. or at least be very clear about following my lead on how I want things done. So it, it is tricky because you right, you're right. You have to teach people, especially if they don't have a design background. So it may be a person who's hungry to learn it, but they're hung, hungrier, I think, sometimes to learn the glamorous part. I know that's right. And the mm-hmm. glamorous part is not really how you you really become a successful design no. business. No. 
So that is the the tricky part that I'm I'm kind of figuring out as I'm into this process of having an actual employee. So So I'm curious how having two kind of offices and home bases like really works logistically. Like do you have like actual office spaces? Yes, I have actual office spaces that I well, one here in Chicago, I don't own, but I think I'm going to move into an office that I own here mm. in Chicago, cool. one in Augusta that I own as well. So it's easier for me. And, and I'm a pro, like own everything, own a lot of land, own a lot of property person. <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, I, I, I I think it relates to my background. My family's from Mississippi originally. They owned a a farm. And so when we, I think when the family moved to Chicago, we didn't own as much. And so just coming from that feeling like I want to get back to that. Like I want to own where I live. I want to Mm -hmm. own where I work, that sort of thing. So I feel that that's kind of compelled me um, in my other ventures, like I do uh, real estate investing as well. That's really funny. Wow. That's really interesting that you mentioned that because for my husband and I we were talking to our CPA and they're strategizing and he knows that now I'm leasing an office and he's like, I think this is good for you now, but long-term, and I mean, by all means to our listeners, I'm not a CPA or a financial advisor. I'm just sharing my story. <laughs> but his strategy, our CPA to us, was that an office is an asset if you own it. Only if you own it is does it then become sort of part of this long-term strategy of it's yours while you need that office, but then it's also an asset that you can lease out and get money from in the long term and in the future. So that way it's not just something you're paying into constantly and not being able to get something back out of. Sean, I think that that's so important. I think that just as a designer, just looking at it from a design perspective, you know, there's ebbs and flows Mm -hmm. with your design business. And it's great if you can have a full roster of clients all the time, but you need to own some part of the process of it and how you kind of generate revenue for yourself. I think some designers successfully have gone into product design um, licensing, that sort of thing. Yeah. But I think the component that some the larger design firms are catching on to or that I see kind of going in that direction this last year or two is to own, you know, where they work, own some real estate that they can either kind of renovate and either resell, get into custom homes, that sort of thing. Mm. I think we have to own a larger piece of this whole design process, which is a larger process than just focus strictly on making homes beautiful um, for individuals. Yeah, there should be. Who pay us. We should get something. This this should also be, a. I mean, honestly, a wealth-generating strategy for designers, that this isn't just what happens when I'm at the end of my career and then I maybe can sell my business to someone else and they have this valuable business and or I also have this office that when I'm done with it or things move up and down, I have another like lever I can pull to protect myself financially or to enrich myself financially. Very true. You know, I have my best friend, she's in the DC area and, you know, she has always been more entrepreneurial than I have been. I've always like, oh, I have to have a job. I cannot, (laughs) um, you know, kind of 
fish for myself. And what she has taught me, because she did this, she used to own a real estate firm and she always bought the buildings that she ran her businesses out of. And I was like, well, I, I don't know why she would do that. You know, you have all these agents working for you sort of thing. But she always did that. And I think that in the long run, I try to follow her lead because I know she's really kind of been through the trenches in as being an entrepreneur. And I think that that was like one of the lessons that I learned from her. Try to own where you work, definitely where you live. If you can, you can do that. But where you work, you can always use that as a future asset. Yeah. Hmm. It's like your own little monopoly board. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> I also think, I don't know if this is part of the strategy at all, but I think it is what something you said, Joy, made me think even just having like creatives and designers play into commercial real estate development, it brings like some aesthetic back into it, which I think has been stripped from a lot of, especially commercial buildings in the last 50 years. Right. right. (laughs) Very true, Rebecca. It's all so basic and so like commodity and gross. And to just like, I don't know, maybe save old buildings and make them beautiful again, or just, I don't know, have creatives in the game and not just businessmen making bad decisions. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with that. Like even from a residential perspective, I've always lived like in older homes. Like my home now is like from the 1890s. Oh my gosh. Um, That's so cool. um, So I love you know, older buildings. I love, you know, saving history, that sort Mm -hmm. of thing, landmark buildings or landmarking a neighborhood so that the buildings aren't torn down. So Mm -hmm. I think designers can really be impactful in that sense when you have maybe business interests saying, oh, let's tear this down. No, there's a way to save it. There's a way to make it look aesthetically pleasing. But I did notice, I think last year, and I think it was Design Pulp, or pulp, yeah, design pulp. Mm-hmm. I saw that they were getting into the custom home business, and I was like, you know, I wonder why more designers had not gone that route, especially when the market has been so fruitful. But maybe more are doing that, and they're not publicizing it as much. But I think that that is impactful for a business who, as you said, Sean, you know, long term. You may be able to sell your design business down the road once you're ready to retire, maybe not, or maybe for not as much as you would like, but you still have this one asset that you can definitely rely on to either generate more income for yourself or to cash out at some point. Yeah. First step, move out of California. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you got to... Cool. That's first cool. Starts, starts, starts. Well, we have a lot of people in California coming to the Midwest. Yeah. So I think some people are doing that. Yeah. I know, but the the snow though, like, you just can't. It's not so bad. I guess. Maybe, maybe someday. Or you can be bi coastal. I know. I'm kind of inspired by avoid the cold the cold season. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Can you share with our our listeners joy more about what what took you between Chicago and Atlanta and like how that's working for your business? Sure. So 
I was eventually looking for me and my fiance. We were looking for, we were just talking to say, you know, maybe there's some place we can eventually retire to that's not as cold. Of course, <laughs> we want See? to escape yeah. the cold as well. Um, but most of, I mean, we're from here. We're from Chicago, both of us. So our family's here. But my bestie, her parents have always lived just outside of Augusta in a place called Martinez. Okay. It's in Georgia. And so we were talking and she kept saying, this city is growing. I was, you know, still doing real estate investing. So she was thinking, maybe there's something you could buy. Come and look. Maybe this is where we could eventually retire to. So we took a trip about two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, almost three now, and visited again. I had all I had visited the area probably for going on maybe 15 years, oh, wow. but off and on, not really thinking of it as a place to invest because it's a small town. But I don't even think it registered in my mind that it was so close to Atlanta until she she brought up the investment aspect of it. So mm. we visited, we loved what we saw. We saw that the city was growing. And so we bought a couple of properties there. And now it's like our kind of safe haven to go to when it's cold here. <laughs> <laughs> and so as part of that, I mean, Augusta has a design community. But, you know, Savannah is two hours away. Atlanta's two hours away. But I have friends in Atlanta. So I would often go back and forth to Atlanta, kind of engage in the design community there. And then I met the publisher of one of the magazines there. And I was expressing that I love to do a show house. And so I ended Mm -hmm. up doing a couple of show houses in Atlanta. So I've been back and forth, back and forth, probably for the last two years. Do you have like a client roster as well? Yes, there? in Augusta, in Augusta, not Atlanta. I'm trying to expand my client roster in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So that's been helpful to do the show houses because I do get inquiries from people in Atlanta uh, wanting um, services. I but that. I am trying to expand more. Yeah, actually, I got. I just did, it's still going, uh, a show house called Serenby, which is a community about 30 minutes outside of downtown Atlanta. Um, beautiful, utopic community, like a farm to table type community. And the house is beautiful. So I've been getting inquiries from that show house. So are show houses to line up my first client. Are they as glamorous <laughs> as it seems? Do you want to, do you have any inside scoop on that for? If I just um, I was thinking about it, like the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah, tell us. As much as yeah, you're ready so to share. they're expensive. Oh, I, I can share. <laughs> I mean, it's it's an ex- it's an expensive hobby if you like to do show houses. Okay. What you hope will pay off is that you get a client roster from it. Mm-hmm. And I do know designers who've done show houses and they've gotten clients from it. Okay. And it kind of raises their profile in the area. So people who may not have ever heard of our firm because we're based in Chicago and Augusta, now they know about us because they've seen our work. The other benefit is you get to kind of do what you want to do. So (laughs) you're the client, which I love, but it can be expensive. I mean, yes, you try to work with some of your vendors who may give you a discount 
on some of the products that you're showcasing in your room. But for the most part, I take it as either partially a charitable expense because it usually benefits a charity and also as a business kind of marketing line item expense. So instead of using my marketing funds to run an ad in a magazine, I do a show house for the year. This year I've done three, so I don't know. My budget is kind of blown out of the... (laughs) (laughs) But, but, but... I, they've been all three different experiences. So I'm, I'm, I'm good on that right now. I think the next one I'd like to eventually do is the Kip Spay show house. Uh, eventually yes. I'm putting that out there. Manifest it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I need to kind of save my ducats to get ready for that one. Yeah. I, I, I remember people talking about that at the conference and it is an investment. Expensive. <laughs> yeah, because it's different, right? So the Kips Bay one, you're actually doing all of the construction work. Say you want to, mm-hmm. you have to rehab or renovate your room right. or spaces. You have to bring in contractors, that sort of thing. You have to do a little bit of that for a traditional show house, but not to the same extent. Okay, Your expense is mostly in the furnishings. So if you're getting a custom sofa, custom drapery, custom rugs, or, or you're just buying, you know, from your vendors, I mean, that's the expense. Right. And Kip's Bay, like they expect you to bring it. Like, yes, you got to go big. Yeah. So the, the, and the materiality changes. So you may be using quarter Taleo, um, you know, wallpaper, which is all hand, hand um, painted. Mm-hmm. That might be different than what you might specify for a regular show house. Sure. Right. Um, I mean, you must not hate it. You did three. Like, Oh no, I, lo- <laughs> I, lo- I actually love it. So that's why I think like, I mean, that speaks a lot. That speaks volumes to the experience and, and, and how much you got out of it. You know, even if it's say it's like clients as part of it, but also just the, the fun of doing it and getting to see that finished result has got to be really affirming. It is. I mean, this particular show house, the Serenby one I did is different than the other two in that the home while it was being constructed already had an owner. Mm. So there was an owner attached to the Serenby show house. So we got to interact with the owner, talk to her and her family about their likes and, and wants. Also use some of her, I used a lot of her artwork. She's an artist. Her kids are artists. Oh, cool. So I used a lot of her artwork in my room. So it's a little bit different um, than a normal show house where you don't have a client. Although she agreed that we could do whatever we wanted to do, it's helpful when you think about the end goal of a show house. Yes, it's advertising for your business, mm-hmm. and you, but you also hope that if there is an owner, that they want to keep the wallpaper, that they want to keep the room as yeah. you designed it. And so that alleviates some of your expenses if you can sell them the room. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I, could, I couldn't handle the heartbreak of knowing I put something beautiful together and then you just know, like, they're going to take it out, but it's, it's theirs now. Out. Like, they, they're going to do what they want and you just go in knowing, okay, this could happen, but it's great if they do love it enough that they want to keep it all. That's right. That's right. Like, the one I did before Serenby, that was a spec house. Okay. So that one had a spec designer who was attached to the project. And that person kind of picked all of the hard finishes, the plumbing fixtures, the cabinet. Is that the butler's pantry? 
You yeah. Did? Okay. No, no, no. I, I is did. that what it was? It's, no, it's the scullery. Oh, the scullery. scullery. Um, which is the secondary kitchen. Yes. Um, but actually in that project, they, they wanted to keep the wallpaper. So not the owner because they didn't have an owner, but the actual builders oh. wanted to keep the wallpaper. So they, they kept that. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. I want to do one. I just want to sponsor. you know i didn't even know that they had those type of show houses house beautiful is doing a show house in atlanta i think it comes out in december or something like that or opens Mm. in december they have sponsors who are sponsoring the product for the rooms so i'm not even sure how much the designers have to come out of their own pockets for that show house Mm, interesting so that's the kind i want to do too yeah. I want to do that next. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really fun. And I like it when there's limitations. Like if you only have like, t- if you have to choose from a certain, I don't know, list of pieces. Like I like that challenge of making it work with my aesthetic. And I don't know. I think that's kind of fun. Well, eventually I'd like to possibly, we've never had a show house in Chicago on the south side of Chicago, which is the area I'm from, which is vast. When people say the South Side, they think that it's small, that it's vast. Okay. But I love to have a show house here at some point. Like produce a yes. show? Okay. Mm-hmm. Invite designers to design a house. I know. When, when After I met you and we were talking about this in Atlanta, I started thinking about it too because Sacramento, it's not a huge city, but it's the state capital of California. And we don't have one either. We have a holiday, like we have holiday home tours. Mm-hmm. that they invite designers for and that would be fun to do at some point but it's different because it's holiday focused and i don't yeah, know that's it's not, not my, the same no yeah you should do it i mean i think <laughs> I, should, I need <laughs> you another should. job yeah. you should do it you should do it well i read this i think it was i don't know where it was but i just recently read about these airbnbs or type of airbnbs where designers are starting to like they'll buy a property and they'll have some of their vendors who want to be in the house kind Mm. of donate the materials for the home that they can showcase Mm -hmm. um and then you know it's a house that people can kind of look at a link for and say oh i want to buy this um like a shoppable yeah like a shoppable house I've thought um, of doing that before. Yeah. So there are ways that from a business perspective, I think that we as designers can kind of, you know, work smarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, Sean, generate, you know, wealth for ourselves and our families so that you know, we're not working so hard because it is a tough profession. I mean, it's very competitive because there are a lot of us Mm -hmm. in general, although not as many black designers, I will say that, or designers of color, but there are a lot of designers and people have a lot to choose from. So I think that we need to kind of find ways to make it work for us. I totally agree. And there's just a lot of ways to approach it. Yes, I agree. I have interest in knowing how you choose your clients I know we talked about to think, to like flip the script of you're not getting chosen. Like we get to choose who our clients are, (laughs) which is like a huge mental shift. And 
super important? Like how, like, what are your thoughts on that? And I need some tips <laughs> right <Yeah>. now. <laughs> so <laughs> in my life, it is, it is a big mental shift, but I think, I think people should think of it from an entrepreneurial perspective and in the sense that you get to choose who you work with, how you show up to the world. You're not working for someone and kind of promoting their ethos. You're promoting yours and that of your firms. And so for me, I think when I initially started, I, I did kind of get to choose because it was some investors, people invest in real estate who wanted us to kind of stage their homes the way that we were staging ours. So I could choose if I wanted to, you know, be involved with them. But from a design perspective, I was, I think I initially thought, oh, well, if someone wants services, then I need to, you know, make myself available because they want me to design this room and they, their budget is this, and I need to make it fit into that budget, even if Mm -hmm. that's not how I design. Like they rang the bell, Um, so I have to answer. (laughs) Right. Right. Because you're a business, right? But for me, the design process, a large part of it is creative, you know, autonomy for me. Mm-hmm. And so I need to be the leader of that process from a creative perspective and from a business pr- perspective. And I've gotten to the point where I kind of do what well, I don't kind of, I actually do this. I have a questionnaire on my webpage when they fill out a contact form and I give them parameters around budget and I ask them what their project's about, what rooms they want us to design, that sort of thing. And that's been helpful to kind of figure out who my client is and where I can best serve them. But it's also been helpful with this kind of new process that I've developed where I, I understand, I think more innately now, how I design and how I can best serve clients with my design ethos and how I want to see the spaces that I design. Yes, I work with the clients to give them what they want, form and functionality. But because I'm running a business, there is a minimum that I need to achieve from a project to really make it worth my time and my business's time. Because we can only do so much with the hours in the day. And so there are just some clients that I probably can't serve effectively. And so I, I, I just decided that I can't serve them. And they're better off, I think, with, with designers who can serve them. And is that based on like project size, scope, budget, aesthetic? Yeah, a little above? bit of all of that. It's definitely scope. It's definitely size and budget. What I've started doing is giving potential clients like a home, what I call a home design investment analysis, where I kind of walk them through because people come to you, they don't really, they've never worked with designers before. Mm -hmm. They really don't know what full service interior design uh, involves. And so I give them basically, once I've had the conversations with them, which they're not charged for this, we talk on the phone, I, I will accept pictures of their spaces so that I can really give them a good deep dive in what it will take to get their space to look like what they've expressed to me they wanted it to look like. 
And what um, you needed to look like to take and it. what I needed to look like to take it on yeah. and and, you know, the materiality that I would use to make their space, you know, feel like what they want and the expense that comes with that. So I, I really give them a deep dive into, OK, these are my expenses. This is your design fee. This is the materiality that I think you're asking for mm-hmm. where and this is where the costs would would fall with that kind of materiality. This is what it takes to start ordering and processing all the furniture that you need. This is what it costs. Um, And then we have to install it. These are the people that will come in and help us install this space into your home or spaces into your home. So this is the approximate cost for those people. So I kind of give them a broad overview of really what it will cost. And that's all in an initial phone call? Well, they don't get that until they do the questionnaire. We do the phone call, the discovery phone call. And if I get the sense that these are the kind of clients that I can help, then I give them the analysis. So, for example, if someone does the questionnaire and they tell me they need three rooms designed and they pick the lowest budget... (laughs) option, thirty dollars to $50,000 for, I have the conversation with them. If that's like a real budget for them, I'm probably not the best firm that can help them achieve what they want for three rooms. So I try to really get a sense of, do you really want three rooms? Is this really your budget? Three what rooms kind- for 30 to 50? <laughs> yeah. Like there's not a lot of designers that can do that. Right. But well, well, there are a lot of designers who will do that, actually, who may just they may have different vendors or retail. All the finish levels kind of move down a a grade from what a client's inspired by. But you go, well, I can give you look for less. And then that whole thing. I don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's incomplete. Or it's incomplete. Mm -hmm. And so since because we don't do the look for less you know, option in terms of, of course, if it's like a $50,000 table, yes, we can do a cheaper <laughs> But we can't table. do look for less when we're already at $1,000 for an item. And then you're like, for your whole bed, for the whole sofa, like Bingo, how much Sean. further can Bingo. we go? There's, there's not, <laughs> right. there's not much left margin for us to make money off of or for them to be happy with it. Right. And, and, you know, we're running businesses. And like I said, I have an employee. I also have a bookkeeper that I have on a retainer. Mm -hmm. I also have a CPA that I have to pay. Mm -hmm. I also have like virtual assistants who still help me. So I, I have a business to run. So, you know, I can't do that when someone wants that kind of uh, service or look. Yeah. Well, you've also set your business as a luxury firm and that's where you're operating out of. That's right. And so, you know, you, you set your intention about where you want your business to be. And it's okay if you're not there yet. I wasn't there four years ago. That's not how my business was, was um, organized, but right. it's, it's organized as a luxury interior design, full service firm. So do you, how long do you think it took you like in, in that, in the span of the four years to move from that initial phase into where you are now? It took me about two and a half years. Okay. Two and a half years to really, really understand where I needed to be for me to have a successful business. Mm -hmm. 
And for me to provide the level of design that I, I prefer to work in. Yeah. And without getting too personal, like answer this how you want to, but something we talk about a lot is just our own personal money stories. Yeah. And how those, like for me personally, get in the way sometimes mentally selling, like something, basically selling something I can't personally afford is a leap. Yeah. So I know what you mean. It just depends. I think that items that it doesn't mean that you don't have a design perspective that can incorporate those kind of items. Oh, I have expensive taste. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I don't have a problem selling items that I can't afford. I think it depends on the clientele. So my clients, if I have clients who can afford very expensive items who say, no, I actually Mm -hmm. want home goods items or I want Wayfair items. Mm. Yeah, rich people can be cheap. Right. They didn't get rich by spending all of it. (laughs) Right. You don't have to spend all of it. But I think the key is when I'm recommending an item, you know, for a design, Mm -hmm. I've researched that item. I've debated, you know, the pros and cons of this item versus another item. And we do a lot of customs. So I know how it's made a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important to convey to the client that, yes, maybe we can use more or less expensive items here. Still not, you know, items that would not fit our design ethos or perspective. Mm -hmm. but. I think you really need to spend the money here because you're going to use this more often. It's going to, you know, come in contact with more people in your family. You want to make sure that it's, you know, um, hypoallergenic or that it's, you know, serving the purposes of your family's needs, you know, perspective that keeps them safe, that sort of thing. So I think you just have to be able to explain why you are Mm -hmm. specking one item versus another. I guess also some of the pieces like lighting, for instance, are often art. I mean, they're sculpture and the way they're made are a form of a work of art. And that's, I don't know, that's like something you have to either value or not. And you have to be able to communicate that. That is right. We believe at my firm in artful design. And so mm-hmm. usually when I'm designing a room, it's very um, an art forward fo- focus. So that's like one of the things that I really like in the spaces that I tend to design. To me, they feel very artful and I like a bit of whimsy. Not everyone likes that. So it depends on the client. But I think that when I'm looking at furnishings, I'm, I am looking at them as art. And so a light fixture, be it a light fixture or a chair, I'm looking at the form, like, you know, how it was made, it doesn't just have to be pretty. And sometimes with me, pretty is not even the focus. Like, I don't even know how much I like pretty rooms. I like artful rooms. Hmm, that's an interesting way to differentiate it. Yeah, and it's not always comfortable. Like, you might not choose a chair because it's something you want to watch a Game of Thrones marathon on. <laughs> But it's a sculpture in your home, in the room. That's right. Now, I will pick a, well, 
it has to be comfortable. So I okay. do believe in marrying form and function. But I do think that if it's just an accent chair, right. it's not something they're going to use a lot, then I could lean more into the artfulness mm-hmm. of it or the sculptural aspect of it. But I do believe that even if you, and not everyone believes this, I mean, I see beautiful chairs that say Kelly Worsler may have in some of her designs. And I think that cannot be comfortable, no, right. um, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's art. Like you said, it's sculptural, but I don't think that that makes up the majority of the seating in her spaces. No, so. they don't all have like spikes on them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a spike seat. Right. So I think that there's a balance you can achieve, but I definitely believe that you should have form and it should always marry form and function for the majority of the furnishings in someone's home mm-hmm. that I'm designing for. Got it. Okay. So I feel like you've done a lot in the short time you've been in business. So how do you feel like designers can set themselves? Like, I feel like you had a good foundation when you started mm-hmm. and do you have ideas or thoughts around that? About how to get started? No, just like how to set your business up, right? Like, well, I, I am kind of rethinking how my business is organized. Like currently I'm an LLC because I don't need to take a salary from my business. And this is not tax advice. It's not legal (laughs) advice or anything like that. But I did get a piece of advice when I started. Oh, you should definitely set yourself up as a C-Corp or an S-Corp. I think it was S-Corp. S-Corp because you can then take a salary and you can have more write-offs or whatever. But because I'm running several businesses, that wasn't the piece of advice that worked for me and my company. But I think, one, designers need to, and I'm sure that they do, or, well, maybe not everyone, but say you're coming out of design school. I didn't go to design school, so I'm not sure what they're teaching there. But they definitely need a business course. I don't know what they're teaching. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) you know how to operate as a business i think that a lot of the stuff that you learn after you're in business is you know one you need to have someone who's doing your finances or talking you through your finances Mm -hmm. and how to organize how to you know deal with the taxes that you have to pay i've like heard horror stories about taxes and how people aren't collecting them and You know, now states are requiring that if you sell in one state but live in another state, how you have to collect those taxes. So I think you need a team. You need a CPA one. That's like the first person you need who has some familiarity with the design business and how we, you know, have to collect taxes. And then I think also you need someone to look over your contracts. Like, I think you need a lawyer. Even if it's just your initial letter of agreement and you can modify from there, I think you need someone to really walk you through the basics of, you know, what it needs to entail, draft it for you. I say pay for that Mm -hmm. so that you can really have a good footing regarding that. And I think that find yourself a business coach if you think that you're not good at business, someone who can kind of coach you through how to negotiate. 
you know, because a lot of times it's negotiating with your client, you know, what your, what you can do, what your scope is and what they paid for versus what you've agreed to do, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. which can get a little tricky, especially if you haven't really have a real clear contract with them and you're telling them one thing, but your contract says another. Um, And you don't want those kind of problems um, when you're working with your clients. So I think the basics, I think designers need to know about before they kind of just jump into the business. Yeah, the contract thing is huge and mine's evolved. And I've, I've never had to go back on it. I guess I've never had to like enforce it, but I have had glimpses of needing that recently. <laughs> and it's scary. Like, oh my God, what if this gets interpreted in a new way? And I don't know, it starts getting really scary when you realize you might have to actually use it. Yeah. And I think you need to, as a business, I think you need to understand what your non-negotiables are. I think you need to understand those before you can really convey it to your client Mm -hmm. who may be, for some reason, people, I I don't think it's just design, but I think people like to throw the the potentiality of future business in front Mm -hmm. of you so you forget what really the... the the contract was about and you can't get like waylaid by that you really have to focus on this is what we've agreed to we will focus on other things after we kind of finish this part of our process yeah yeah i I think people can get confused by that i hear so many designers talk about that and and when you're when you are starting and for so many of our listeners they they are early even if they're not new designers they're still like they feel like they're early in their growth stages, you know, where they're still laying a lot of foundation and groundwork and building their portfolio. And so during that time, yeah, it gets, people are like, oh, they're going to build this whole new house and they want me to start with this. And they told me they're going to do X, Y, Z. And I think just over the years, you hear it over and over. I've had people say that stuff to me. And then it, you know, especially now that I have, I've grown my team and I have, you know, I have my design assistant, and he'll say, right. oh, this one sounds really exciting. And I'm like, mm, yeah, we're just not going to count those chickens. Like they're, <laughs> let's only count the thing that they are actually willing to pay us for right now. And then right. if it ends up being spectacular and beautiful and it leads to something else, that's great when that actually happens. But that roller coaster of, oh my God, they're going to, they're going to love me so much. They're going to hire me for their vacation house in the mountains. Mm-hmm. That, yes. that just only can lead to disappointment, you know? So, you know, set ourselves up with the right expectation. And the minimum it's years away. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> yes. And the other thing I would advise young designers is value your design. Mm-hmm. You know, Value what you can do, what you can bring to your client. And, and when I say value your design, I mean, get your design fee up front. Yes. That is the intellectual property. That's what you want to put a very high value on. I believe in charging your worth. And what we do requires a lot of skill. It requires a lot of project management skills. Mm-hmm. It requires a lot of organization creative talent, of course, but what you're selling them is your ability to 
make their home feel like what they really want it to feel like mm-hmm. and how they want it to look. Of course, through your lens, but what they're paying for is, is that intellectual property. And you want to get that fee up front so that if a client says, you know, I love these designs, but I'm not ready to or start ordering furniture or I don't want to move forward from here, they've paid for that. And, and you can let them do whatever they're going to do <laughs> because you've been paid yeah. for the service that you provided up front. So do you collect flat fee in that, in that yes. example? Yeah, I do a flat fee and I do 75% to start. And then before they get the uh, design concepts, that meeting, they pay the remaining 25%. So whether they move forward or not, they've gotten my intellectual property and they have paid for that. Mm -hmm. And you've done a lot of work up to that point. So it's like you've been compensated for it, no matter what. There's no arguing over a final invoice. No. And there's also the piece of our experience, like when you're charging hourly, especially for design, like maybe you knock something out in a few hours, but it doesn't account for the years of going to High Point and, you know, researching different design and manufacturers and vendors mm-hmm. and accumulating that's all right. of your resources. Like that's valuable. And clients, I've had this happen where they're like, oh, I could just take it from here. I could have yes. easily done that. But no, they couldn't like, have. No, you make they it look so have. easy that they're like, they, I could yeah. do that. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so, and then they wonder why their home doesn't feel or look finished to them. Why doesn't it look like the magazine? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't it look like this? You're missing several pieces. You're the Home Depot the- for the hardware. Right. <laughs> right. And so, yes, it, they think that they can do it. And so, you know, I'm okay. I've been. This is like uh, probably this year I've just become okay with the fact that if a client does not move forward after we've done the design concept presentation and they've said, yes, I love it. This is the one I want. And they don't do the rest where we start the process of ordering and really implementing the design. I'm okay because they have paid for all of the work, which we do a lot of the work ahead of time. So I know Mm -hmm. some designers... They don't start really selecting furnishings until they've presented their design concept and they give them kind of a general idea of, yes, maybe this chair or a chair that looks like it. No, we actually are starting to figure out which vendors we're going to use, what pieces we want to pull for your project. And so because we've done all of that work, our design fee encompasses, you know, the costs of that. Do you give them like a budget proposal with that? like costs yes. associated. Okay. So when I do the home design analysis, that's the initial phase where I kind of just give them an overall sense of mm-hmm. scope and what it would take and how much it would cost and all of the different people that we have to work with to get this room to look the way you want it to look or rooms or whatever. And so by the time we do the design concept presentation, we're giving them mood boards, we're giving them actual design illustrations of how the room will look. Mm. And I am a visual designer, so I definitely can see the room. And so when they see it on paper, that's pretty much how it's going to look once we implement it. And then at the back of that, I give them a full budget 
Mm -hmm. A full, every single piece that we plan to put in the room, there's a full budget for it, a cost associated with it, along with a uh, detailed like column for whatever their discount is, all of that, taxes, everything. So they have that and they've paid for it. And if they want to move forward, we move forward from there. Yeah, write us a check. Let's go. Like <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. And if, and, if and we not, don't they order furniture, um, that's right. And, and we don't order furniture until they've paid for it in full. Preach. So there's no sort of like retainer or, or 5% down, nothing like that. I do not understand why people would do that. Yeah, I don't. Unless they want to just start owning furniture. Owning furniture. I know. Right. <laughs> I think if there's a lot of designers who just like, if they don't know the worst case scenario or they've never played, you know, kind of thinking about what you were saying about if you don't know, hire a coach, like hire someone who does. Right. If no one's ever told you that and you're new to design, you would think, well, what's the worst that can happen? You know, then I, then I own it. And it's like, yeah, but then you own it. Like then you. Let me show you my warehouse. Yeah, then, you have to, <laughs> then you have to hold it and hope you can sell it for as much. And now you're in this sort of retail game that you didn't necessarily think was part of your business model. So I think, yeah, it's, and, and it's just funny to watch the, commitment from clients once they understand that like yeah sure this is at our receiving warehouse they have it but this is already yours like it's right. it's already there in custody for you it's going to be yours we're we're just sort of taking care of it for you until it can be you know your house is done and it can be installed cleanly so i think that that's yeah. it changes the way that clients feel about it too once they understand like oh i am getting something it's not just these intellectual property ideas anymore. Now I'm actually paying for tangible things that are going to end up in my home and they kind of buy in a lot more. And that's also our leverage to keep them invested because it is such a long process is, you know, well, we've spent all this money. We're already in like, right. we're not going to, we're not going to leave now while the rest is still kind of coming together. Well, I guess that's my follow-up question, Joy. So you're fine. So you've come to terms or come had peace with clients just ending after the presentation because you've gotten paid for that work. But then if they decide to move forward, do you run into instances where they like try to pull back or like, oh, we're not going to do those window treatments now? And then you start slowly seeing your design, your portfolio piece whittle away. <laughs> Does that happen to you? <laughs> I have. That happened to me. And again, it's it's where I am, I guess, in my evolution. Mm-hmm. I, I've I've come to the conclusion that if too many items are mixed from a project, mm-hmm. then I have to tell the client that I can't do the project. Mm-hmm. Because again, what I believe that I offer, and I know that we're a service, but I think that what I offer is you know, an artful perspective on designing a room, of course, with form and function. Um, but if you're changing so many aspects of what I've designed for you already, either we are going to have to start the process all over again and you're going to have to pay another fee for me to redesign the room. Because some designs are so specific. I don't design for the general public. So I'm designing for a specific client. Right. So if the design is so specific that, and you started saying, well, I don't like four or five pieces in a room that are central pieces, then I can no longer do your project. Mm-hmm. Or 
you have to start all over again. And so we have to go back to the lab, our studio, and redesign your room. It may not be a new floor plan, but it definitely has, because we're changing so many materials, we have to redo it. Yeah. Is that in your contract somehow? Yes, that's in my contract. Okay. And so if they are, and, and that's okay. And some people say, well, I don't want to pay for a new design. I like the floor plan. And some people confuse the floor plan with the design. That's not mm. the totality of the design. Right. It involves materiality, it involves furnishings. All of that kind of coalesces into this nice harmonious piece that you look at and you say, oh, well, ah, they kind of, and ah, like a sigh of relief, like this is what mm-hmm. I was hoping for. This is what I needed. For us to give you that again, if you've taken out so many pieces, we are going to, going to have to redesign the space for you. And, and, and they're and paying all over it. again if they want it that bad. Yeah. <laughs> some clients will, some clients will not. They'll, they will say, well, you know, I'll, I'll just try to implement this myself or I just don't want to pay again or, and, and that's okay. I've come, so, I've, come, I've come to, I've given it to the ether. I, I cannot do anything with it. Yeah, that. you already got paid. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, what if you're midstream and ordering? Like, what if you've ordered some of the pieces and now you realize you're not going to see it through? How does that work? Well, that's okay because I don't necessarily, I guess for me, it's not like the end all be all to get a picture of their space or get my portfolio wishes fulfilled with their space. Okay. I can do another project and get some portfolio photos. Right. And I think that if, uh, if a designer is focused on, and I've had designers say this to me, but man, I don't want to deal with them, but you know, I need to get those pictures for my portfolio. You will get another space that you can design. You do not need those pictures that bad, especially yeah. if it's a client that you don't like dealing with. Mm-hmm. And this is in cases mm-hmm. where the client has just been abusive from a business perspective. Sure. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you don't need the, those pictures. No, You're those not pictures are only good about the pictures. Think about all the bad energy those photos bad, are holding yes. after that. Like you really yes. want those to be your calling card to someone else of like, yes. No, that's like haunted yeah. energy. Like I don't want Yeah. I don't want those totally, objects or things around. I've totally learned that lesson a couple times this year. There's always this point I feel like in projects and several of my other designer friends have talked about this where the project's going great, you're so excited, they love the initial concept, they bought off on everything, mm-hmm. and then they're somewhere in the um process where things start to kind of erode or dissolve. Unravel, yeah. Yeah. And then you realize, ooh, this isn't, isn't going to be a portfolio piece and I don't like it anymore. I don't mm-hmm. really even want to put my name on it. I guess my question or the learning I need to have is how do I stop? <laughs> like, how do I get out of it? <laughs> well, or if should it's, I? If it's okay. So if, if they're, well, one, they have to pay for all of the furniture that I'm going to order up front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's no, get, they've already bought it. They've already clicked my, in my project management system saying, yes, I I'm purchasing that. Yes. Yeah. I agree to so that. I mean, all these separate no contracts what. all showing up no matter what we're installing it, no matter what, if you don't live with it for a little bit, if you don't like it, we can definitely help you source some different items. We're not taking these back. 
but we can definitely help you source different items. And if you don't get photography from it, actually, you should be able to because everything's installed that you want it to get installed. But if they say, look, I don't want any of this, they've already paid for it. So I don't know if it's your problem at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah, I guess I need to like get better at getting those. It's always, it seems like window treatments and accessories where things fall off the rails and I need to probably get better at including all of that up front. Yeah, window treatments, especially because mm-hmm. whether they're custom or semi-custom, I mean, that's something that they should definitely pay for up front. Well, in the beginning of the project, I mean, like I'm, I haven't been, I guess, presenting the proposals up front. So those oh, end up okay. getting mixed. And then I've, that's where like, if they don't do the window treatments and it needs window treatments, yeah, it's like not having a it's like not good. having a rug or not it's having naked. window treatment. You're like, um, this room's just not done. It's just it's like not having pants on. Like <laughs> it's not good. Actually, that's a good way to look at it, actually. It's like, hey ma'am, there's like a few essential garments you need to be wearing every day. And like we can't just be walking around like Winnie the Pooh here. Like you need to put your yeah. we need to this room needs that. If you want to tell me you're gonna go out in yeah. public like that. Then I, I, I'm like, it's like when you're, I'm, I'm imagining your That's, kids picking I'm their clothes for the day and you're like, don't tell them I'm your mom at the drop off because I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't work on yeah. this with you. You did this on your own now. Yeah, I think you definitely should present window treatments, whether they're custom. Well, I think you should always present custom window treatments. Mm -hmm. And I think you should always present an alternative, like you can get pre-made panels, that sort of thing. But Mm -hmm. I think if you present both, I think initially they're definitely going to want the custom treatments. But if maybe later in the project, you know, that's not something you've ordered yet, um, you could swap out for the pre-made panels, but you should should definitely have that as an yeah. item mm-hmm. that they should buy in the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. then, then it sends the picture too of like to the client of, well, we did, this was all picked first because they're all essential or they're all needed. Mm-hmm. And now, now it's even more like into their thought process of, Oh, I'm literally, I can see myself removing things from a complete the room. Pants. Like I took out the pants <laughs> Right. Okay. And so I think there's just like more intentionality behind it of the client yeah. feeling, oh, I'm, these aren't additions to something that are optional. optional I'm taking right. out right. essentials at this place and I'm now going to end up with, you know, an incomplete picture or, you know, a room that doesn't belong together because it's that whole picture approach that matters most. And to your point, I think it's our job as designers to educate clients about, you know, what makes a design space something that they really like. Like, talk to them Mm -hmm. about what do you like about this space? Mm -hmm. Why is this on your Pinterest board? Or why is this one of your pens? Because, and then you can really educate them on this is what you're not really seeing that's happened in this space to make you love it so much. Mm -hmm. And this is why. I have these items in my design. Every inspiration had beautiful and amazing draperies and you want to not have them. Like, Right, right. And (laughs) I think it's up to us. And sometimes like really good design makes that part look easy or like the effortlessness of it isn't noticeable because it maybe isn't screaming in the room. Right. Right. It's sort of like when clients or people, not clients, but people ask you, Say you post the room and they say, oh, what color is that? 
And they run with it for their space, not really knowing all that went into you selecting that color, like the light in the room, you know, how it hits them. Yeah, all of that. It's sort of like that. Yeah, yeah, because we know, we know inside our inside voice is saying, okay, go ahead, pick this color, but it will not look anything (laughs) like this in your house. Also, this photo was professionally shot and edited. So the photo doesn't even look like the paint in person. Like That's right. That's right. It's never going to be exactly what they think it is. They're going to get the sample or put it up and realize, oh, and it's so it's Yeah, that's why I can't take like, I couldn't take a picture of Jennifer Aniston's hair to my hairdresser and expect it to look like that. Like, it's just not going. They're not. Yeah, that's very true. I have very thin hair. So, yeah, my hair would look like that. But, yeah, I think it's it's our job to kind of educate them. I think that we're getting to a point, though, in design um, in some circles where people feel like they can just do it themselves. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so as a designer depending on what kind of business you're running, you have to figure out like, okay, is that really my client? Is that my client who feels like, you know, really, I don't need a designer. I really can do it myself. And yeah, I'm going to let them do all this work and pay them for that. But really, I'm going to nitpick at the end because I don't really need them for that. And I really want it to be my vision. I can be my own defense attorney, but I'm probably not going to win my lawsuit either. So... I know, but I think a lot of designers get frustrated and they're like, I'm dealing with this. But is that your really your client? Is that the client you want? Probably not. No. Yeah, I've learned like design enthusiasts are not great clients for me. And a lot of design enthusiasts follow us. Mm -hmm. They say they love our Mm -hmm. work, Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff, but they're not really your client. No. No, unless you have a store and they can buy pieces from you and they can support you in other ways, I guess. So they're your customer then. They're not your client. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, it's that really like segmenting. I think that's been a a strategy for us as well is like Rebecca's in in her studio environment and a showroom environment. And I have that now um, since this Mm -hmm. summer. And it's really leaning into the, some of these inquiries are really not suited for the full service approach that gives us the best quality work and emotional payout. And we long-term relationship. Yeah. We just need to guide them. You know, I want to guide people to the, here's where I can help you. Here's, here's an option where you can still feel like you got some prestige or cool by working with us, but you're going to get the consumer based approach, the direct to consumer sort of option instead of probably our our biggest concentration of magic, they're they're just going to get a little sprinkle instead. That's right. Because the biggest concentration of magic requires a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. It requires a lot of hours that people sometimes aren't willing or able to pay for. Right. And I understand that at both perspectives. And sometimes they don't figure that out until they're in the process. And mm-hmm. they're like, oh my God, I didn't think it would cost this much. You know, that's why I like to give them that design analysis at the beginning. Like, Mm, no, this is really what it's probably going to cost, Mm -hmm. you know, and I have been pretty good at estimating like construction costs and things like that because I've been so heavily involved in 
real estate investing and renovations and stuff like that. So I'm really good at that. So I'd like to, and I understand that not everybody has ever done a re- renovation or had to, you know, get, um, get the bids. you know, structural work done mm-hmm. to their home. So if they're coming to me for a renovation, I'd like to give them a real good picture of what that might cost. Cause I don't think everyone knows. No. Especially 2022 version. Hello. The re- uh, <laughs> yes. Hello. If they haven't done it in 10 years, it's going to be a little shocking. Joy, you also mentioned that you do one-on-one coaching with designers. Well, sort of. Sort, sort not of. really. Okay. <laughs> okay. Don't call her, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. No. So what I offer is kind of a designer in you. And really, it's not just for designers, but it's for clients who uh, or potential clients, not full service clients, who just want help with kind of figuring out direction maybe picking some finishes, doing a floor plan for a room. Mm. And that's a video conference call for 45 minutes. And they can book that on my website. It's called Designer and You. And for designers, it could be a coaching session. So a lot of designers like to pick my brain about pricing. And typically I'll, I'll share with anyone. And I usually do that in the DMs or if I'm at a conference, they may ask me. But if they want some more in-depth analysis of their process and, and their fees and kind of business advice, then they can book one of those sessions. Okay. And they can book that on your website. Yeah. And schedule it. Okay. So not like full-blown coach, but no. you do. they do have an opportunity to access and pick your brain a little bit. Yes, they do. Awesome. I love that. Yeah, because I I just don't have time to do the full-blown coaching thing. I mean, we're running businesses. It's a lot. It's a whole thing. And I'm sure you guys get like DMs all the time too. Like, can you help me with this? Or what about this? Or how are you charging for this? Like, I've walked designers through like how to charge for whole home renovation, how to charge for their design services, Mm -hmm. if they're charging by the square foot or hourly or, you know, that's fine in spurts, but if you really want, or a quick DM, but if you really want um, a real depth in, in analysis, then they can book that service on yeah. the website. We're, we're pretty free or generous with yeah. our time during, like, if we're at market and we're on the shuttle together or right. we're in a showroom, we're walking around real quick. It's it's like, if there's time and it, it makes it easy to have that conversation kind of fluidly, I mean, we're not guarded with that information, but it it is like, Mm -hmm. oh wait, now we're going to book Zoom appointments or calls or like sessions that take us away from time at our businesses. You have to start going, okay, wait, I only have so many hours and it's like, how do... How is the best way to help myself? And sometimes it means I cannot, we cannot be as free with with all of our time and energy. I think de- every designer is the right. same. Probably if we take that same thought process down to the friends and the family or the acquaintance who wants design advice at a party. And you're like, um, there's going to be a limit yeah. to how much I'll give you for free here. And then I'm just going to have to redirect your energy somewhere else. Like it can't yeah. be me forever. Yeah. I mean, designers have asked me to coach them, but I don't have time. So and like I told, you know, some designers will get in the DMs, like I said, and ask a quick question. Right. Some will be like, designers, I don't even know. will be like, well, 
DM me and say, can we get on a quick Zoom call? Can we get on a quick call? And I'm like, no, yeah, one, I don't know you. And then two, if you have a quick question, you can ask me. And I do tell them that you can ask me here. If not, I have this service and you can book that. And so it's their option at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, it's it's a lot because we're we're I mean like you just said we're really busy we're we're trying to be client focused and really we're running full service interior design services and it it takes a lot of time and coordination to do that and so there's only so many hours in the day yeah mental energy yes that's right mental <laughs> <Just> energy <laughs> very very limited supply lately <laughs> that's right that's right. Well, Joy, where can our listeners find you? Oh, um, I'm mostly on Instagram, if that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Or yes. they can go. Um, I'm, <laughs> Not I'm, your home address. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Joyful Designs, plural, with an S, mm-hmm. studio. So there are two S's in Joyful Designs Studio. Um, or you can go to my website at www.joyfuldesignstudio.com. Awesome. And we'll put those in our show addresses notes. in the show notes yeah. to make sure everyone's yeah. following all the beautiful work that you're doing. Well, thank you. You guys are lovely. Oh, thank you. Thank you for, and, thank you for being so forthwith with how you've organized your business and yourself. I know that our we appreciate it. I know that the our listeners, the hotties, are gonna appreciate just hearing Yay, your hotties. transparency. So <laughs> yeah, we're they're all hotties out there. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate how you've managed to have a really creative forward business that is profitable and a business. Like that's something that I don't think we hear a lot about and it's a challenge for some of us right-brainers. Yeah, I, I, I want to thank you both because I think that you're doing a real service for young designers who, you know, often feel like there's no one that they can kind of tap into and, mm-hmm. and kind of figure it out. One of the things that I think is important is like your continuing education, whether you went to design school or not. Right. I think if you go to some of these industry events, like I've been to so many events this year, that will kind of make you feel more like I deserve to be in the room. Yes. I can mm-hmm. do this. I can charge my worth. If you need that sort of pep talk from some of the conference um, veterans who, who've done it and who are up there speaking and talking about their businesses, I think it's always helpful. I think it's always helpful. And I think that you'll walk away from continuing your education by knowing that okay, the reason I charge X and that I'm comfortable telling my clients that this is what it costs is because I've done the work. I've taken Mm -hmm. my profession seriously and I've kind of educated myself on what I need to be educated on to keep at the forefront of, of this business. So I think that once clients understand that it takes a lot of uh, different moving parts for us to do what we do, the ones who get it will be willing to pay for your services. Agreed. Yes. Thank you so much, Joy. It was so great to talk to you again. Yay. Sorry I wasn't on video, but... No, don't be. Great to hear your voice. We love it. (laughs) So, until next time... Stay hot, designers. 
Thanks for listening to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. For more on what we talked about today, check out the show notes. Your support helps us grow, so share with your design besties. And subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Our conversations continue on Instagram. And be sure to download our monthly resources on our website and our Patreon. 